This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I have Aurora Winter. Aurora, how you doing? I'm doing just great, Brett. It's great to be on the, on the uh, podcast with you. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you. We uh, get to talk a little bit beforehand, and I just love what you're doing and the work that you're uh, that you're doing for people. You're making a huge impact, and you know our goal every single week on this podcast is to give people the best tips and tools for it, whether it's wealth management ideas, it's a business idea, maybe it's writing a book idea, whatever it may be. We want to give them the best tips and tools every week, and like our firm's mission is to help you achieve a future greater than your past. Um, I think you're going to do a great job today of helping people with that. So, so no pressure, Aurora. Okay. <laughs> well, we're so aligned in that. One of the things I love about you, Brad, is that you see greatness in others and you help them step into that greatness. And before they know it, when they're working with you and their team, they start realizing, you know, these long held goals, like sending their kids to private school and they check off those really important goals that have high value. And I see greatness in others too. And oftentimes I see a book. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, maybe we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that afterwards, right? So, well, for those people that don't know who Aurora uh, Winter is, you are a TV, a TV producer, a media coach, a best-selling author, and a, a successful serial entrepreneur. You've done a lot of things, and, and I love your book right now, Turn Words into Wealth, and how you and your team are helping people build brand. Uh, and build their businesses through this book. So, uh, but for those people that, that want to know more, right? They want a little bit more of the meat and the potatoes. What, what's made Aurora the woman you are today? Oh my goodness. That's a pretty broad question. <laughs> um, I've always loved words. And when I was uh, nine years old, I remember standing on my tippy toe to, to reach the last book in the C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis Narnia series. And when I touched the last book in that series, I just felt this intense emotion of, of, of anticipation, but also anticipatory grief. And in that moment, I decided I would do everything I could to become a writer like C.S. Lewis, who really made a difference in people's lives. And later as an adult, I realized how much um, he, how much values in, he had embedded in his storytelling. When I was nine, I was just like, oh, well, give me some more centaurs. <laughs> Tell me the story. So, and now fast forward, you know, I've been a TV producer, um, I have a, a lot of experience, so oversaw 250 hours of uh, film and television production, and wow. I really love anything to do with storytelling. And because I'm also an entrepreneur, I particularly like helping leaders and entrepreneurs get their message out, whether it's on videos, on TV, on podcasts, such as yours, or by writing a book. And so it's amazing to me to think at nine years old, you knew exactly what you wanted to do. I mean, and you're doing it. That's what's cool. I mean, not a lot of people get that, do they? Uh, not a lot of people get that. I am very fortunate, very lucky 
to be living the life of my dreams. I love what I do. I love helping my clients with their stories. I love the books that I'm writing myself. I, I write fiction as well as nonfiction. And uh, my latest book that you've got now, Turn Words into Wealth. It's like, yeah, words matter so much. And yet how much time do most people spend training, learning, polishing, rehearsing their communication? I think we can learn from... Steve Jobs. I mean, he practiced for three weeks before each of those Apple, you know, launch launches. He practiced what to say, where to stand, what to do with the PowerPoint uh, or keynote. And he dedicated three weeks to it because he knew how important it was. But I think we shoot ourselves in the foot, generally speaking, as entrepreneurs and as leaders uh, and as people who want to make a difference, who may, maybe have a nonprofit that we're funding and, and we want to get the word out and get people involved, we spend so much time thinking about our products and services and not enough time devoted to how are we going to effectively communicate about our products and services. And so this is the superpower I'd love everybody to be aware of. Your superpower is how you communicate and it is worth taking a dive into um, how do you want to communicate and learning about the neuroscience of communication, maybe writing a book, but maybe simply going on podcasts and then listening later and going, hmm, I say the word just too much. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> how does this land with you, Brett? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, you're spot on. And it, it is hard too, also to hear your voice. I remember when I first started this podcast four and a half years ago, I was like, oh yeah, this is brutal. Uh, and maybe people are still saying that today. I don't know. Um, but, but it's, but it's amazing how, when you practice something over and over, how much better you get at it. We, we used to have, uh, when I was a new young financial advisor, we had this, our approach, right? What we say to somebody when we first sit down in a meeting, it's like, I wanted to be so good at it. If somebody woke me up at two 30 in the morning and said, what's your approach? I wanted to be able to nail it. And now here I am 20 years in this business and I could go back to, 17 years ago, and probably almost still to this day, say word for word what I said back then. And it's changed a little bit as I've, uh, as I've aged, but, but it's true. I mean, the more we practice our presentation, the more we are engaged in what we're getting ready to do, the better we're going to be, right? Absolutely. And there's that fine line there because you want to be able to do it like that and be interrupted by a phone call or by a dog barking or something and then get back on track immediately, but we also don't want to sound canned. Right. And so what I love to do is teach people the structure, the framework, the engineering behind communication so that when they know, okay, there's the four walls, there's the foundation, that's how that particular communication soundbite works, uh, that they can fill in with slightly different colored walls or, you know, they can vary uh, the brick exterior or stucco exterior. And so it doesn't sound always exactly the same words, but it's supported by a solid framework. I don't know if that made any sense to you, but as a screenwriter, like screenwriting is a very specific format. It has to be X number of words. It's got to be about a hundred pages. You've got to have a hook at the beginning. You've got to have an inciting incident. You've got to have act one, act two, act three turns. Um, and dramatic moments that do a certain thing in a certain way at a certain time. And when I first learned about screenwriting, I'm like, oh my God, that's such, so many constraints. Shoot me, I can't do this. But later I learned, oh no, these constraints are excellent because if I follow those constraints, every screenplay will, will work. And within that, 
you can vary the characters, the format, the not the format, but the um, the genre can be tragedy, can be romance, can be drama, can be sci-fi. But if you have the right structure, it will work. Yeah, and you talked about the hook. I mean, you you got to have that hook that I don't think is going to come on the first try. And, you know, our, our hook, our mission, if you will, is to help people achieve a future greater than your past. And for me, I'm very passionate about that, but it's taken a long time to really mold that into knowing I want a future greater than their past. Who doesn't want that, right? If everybody here, you know, listening, if I said, raise your hand, if you want a future greater than their past, I assume almost every one of us is saying that, but, but how do you find that hook? So if I'm an attorney driving on the road, listening to this, and I want to be the attorney for uh, probate, right? I want to be the probate God. How do you find that hook? What's that process look like? Well, I like what you just said, like who doesn't want a future greater than their past? I mean, that is so clear. It's so concise. It's got uh, your energy in it, your values in it, but it's so few words. So what it takes a lot of words to get it distilled down to something as beautiful and crisp and clear and magnetic as having a future greater than your past. So what I do with my clients and what people can do, maybe not if you're driving, but if you're <laughs> listening to this, is, is first, I'd like you to sort of word dump. I was gonna say vomit, but <laughs> word dump, maybe for pages. So, and what I'd like you to do is just free associate all the words, don't try to get it right, because that will uh, narrow the focus. Instead, yeah. write about the hell that this client is in before you help them, whether you're helping them with their, their future greater than their past, or you're helping them with probate or whatever you're helping with, and then write about the heaven that you take them to, or write about the heartbreak that they're in before they start your counseling or coaching, and then the happiness that you take them to. So hell to heaven or heartbreak to happiness, whichever words uh, fit better for you. And just write, 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 write about the, how are they feeling? What are the ordinary everyday words that they are using to describe the pain that they're in, to describe, you know, what's keeping them up at night, tossing and turning. And then what are the ordinary everyday words that they use to describe the heaven? And maybe you will hit on something as beautiful as, you know, future greater than your past. So then look at these things very lightly and see, is there something in there that could uh, quickly express the transformation that you provide? That's more for, um, you know, um, um, personal services like you would provide or a lawyer would provide. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But it, it's one of those things is I think I've done that without knowing I did that it is because I agree. I, if you look over here, I've got all these journals that I've written in since August of 2005. Hmm. All of my ideas. I mean, the, the circuit of success was born in these journals. I mean, all this stuff and your message and, and who you've become I think it's so critically important for us to write this stuff down. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of this stuff, but I don't think we as humans, especially in today's world, slow down enough to do that. Would you agree? Absolutely agree. And I keep a, I keep a journal. I, I've kept one since I was nine, as you may not be surprised to hear. <laughs> and I wrote books from age nine, but mostly at Shocking. nine. Yeah. A lot of coloring and there was a lot of horses um, and uh, unicorns, of course. Um, but what I want to highlight is in the description that I just gave, it wasn't about the lawyer. Hmm. It was about the client. Yeah. So if you think about trying to nail who you are and what you do and your, your, your highlight, your spotlight is on yourself, this is not going to go as well. 
as if you keep your spotlight on what is the transformation that you provide. So, you know, all your journaling, I mean, you've come up with this beautiful circle of success that's very profound and that's very deep. And this is one thing I challenge people to do. So in my, my newest book, Turn Words Into Wealth, one of my challenges is, I've got a 90-day challenge and people can do it even without reading the book. Um, the challenge is every day for 90 days, read. Every day for 90 days, write. And then every, every weekend, perhaps on a Sunday, review what you have written that week. And we're not looking for great writing. You don't even have to read for that much time. It could be five minutes of reading, five minutes of writing. And then on Sunday, maybe give yourself a half an hour to review. And what you'll notice over time, what I noticed <laughs> with my first time that I did this, which I published as a book later, uh, I noticed how many of my prayers were answered. I'd be, you know, praying for guidance or praying for answers. And then, you know, three months later, the prayer would be answered. But by that time I had gone on to something else and I wasn't as mindful. But when I reviewed what I'd written, I'm like, oh, wow, I really do live in a supportive universe. My prayers really are answered. So you might notice something like that. And then you can double up on your gratitude, or you might notice that you are whining and complaining about the same thing over and over <laughs> and over again. So perhaps you should do something about it. Exactly. Take the steps to do something about it and get out of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, so you said on here, um, one of the, when I did my research, one of the things is how to tip every meeting in your favor before you even say a word. Talk to us about that. Yeah. This is such a great thing to do. So I love books, make no secret about that. So the root of the word authority is author. So when you are a published author, and people know that you're an author, you've already changed the frame of the meeting. You have enhanced your status to a higher level of expertise. You are the authority on that because you've written a book. Even better if you can um, bring your book with you and give an autographed copy to the people that you are having a meeting with, they will be ooing and aahing and impressed. So a really great way, you haven't even said anything yet but they know that you're an author, you're a published author, you have a book, maybe you mail them the book in advance or give them a copy. Then the status in the meeting shifts and gives you more authority. So right away you have, you have tipped it in your favor. And most people would like to be authors. 80% of people want to write books. And while it's not that difficult to write a book, especially if you get a little bit of help, most people don't do it. <laughs> so you also trigger envy. <laughs> Well, I think it's the, and I said this before, I mean, I, I want to write a book. I have a dream and a goal and a vision to write a book. But at the same time, there's that little kid in you that says, who wants to read my book? I mean, do, yeah. you, do you see that from people that when you, when you're out there helping them with this type of stuff? Oh, this is the other thing that gets me oh, so passionate, I guess I'd say is like people take for granted what they know. They take for granted their stories. They just think, oh, well, nobody would care about that. That's because you know it. Like you, for example, Brett, you know inside and out about wealth management, about what a difference it's made to people as you've talked them through the circle of success. And you just kind of like, well, you know, I, I have a hundred stories like that. Why would anybody yeah. want to know? But for people who don't know that, who aren't aware of the circle of success or don't have your expertise in, in, uh, in financial planning and wealth management, this is all news to them. And so they do want to. So the, the other thing books work on multiple levels. One is to capture your expertise uh, for your clients and to be as a lead magnet. But another one is just for your own satisfaction 
of leaving a legacy and capturing it that way. And also we need to get over this, who wants to read my book? Because we're thinking too much about ourselves. Mm. We don't need to have everybody read our book. You don't need to have a New York Times bestseller for it to have been a worthwhile project. If when I wrote and published my very first book, uh, which was a lot of trouble and also was very vulnerable because I published my diary of healing after my husband died suddenly at the age of 31, um, I was 31. I thought to myself, well, this is awfully naked to publish my diary. But I thought, you know, if one person reads this, and it helps that one young widow not be in the excruciating agony that I'm in, it's worth it. And for each person who is interested in writing a book, there is something that you know that somebody else is praying for guidance on. And so I think we should just get over ourselves. It's not important, I don't think, to have a New York Times bestselling book and sell gazillions of copies because that's about our ego. If you write a book that can help people and it helps people, you have done your job. And maybe it'll go on to sell millions of copies too. But I'd love to focus on the meaning and the purpose of it rather than the ego gratification of it. And so when you talk about that attorney or an architect, a doctor, a stay-at-home mom, whatever it may be, um, when I walk in the room, I being that person listening, that's the author. Now I, I am a leg up with credibility because purely because of the book. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And you get a leg up for your, for your meetings. And you can also with a book, you can get on media, you can be on podcasts such as this fabulous podcast. It just changes the whole dynamic. So I know a lot of my clients uh, are PhDs or they're MDs, um, so they value education. They value being acknowledged that they've completed important projects. And so if you've already got your MD or you've already got your PhD, well, what's next? And for many people, it's, it is a book. It's the next thing to achieve. But in some industries, and this may apply to you, Brett, I'd love to hear you comment on it. Some industries are quite restricted what you can do in terms of advertising. You know, I know this is uh, sometimes a problem for lawyers and sometimes a problem in certain health industries and in uh, financial planning, I would guess that it is. Um, so a book is a way to provide value and um, shift the dynamic without mm, doing the kind of advertising that either is uh, prohibited or it's just not appropriate for your brand. Yeah. I mean, what we do is so it's, there's no cookie cutter approach. And so I think, you know, it's hard to write a book about that wealth management strategy. Um, so I think my book would be more around that future greater than your past and the things that you got to do and what we've seen, because I have the benefits of working with 80 year old, 70 year old, 60, 50, 40, you know, so when I'm talking to a 42 year old medical doctor, to use your analogy of your clients, um, that I already know what the 62 and the 72 year old doctor are thinking financially, emotionally, uh, where they want to be. Do they want to have the second home? And so we can help them with that, that mindset type stuff. And I, that's the most important thing in wealth management is everybody's got the Pandora box. It's, it's my job or our advisor's job to find the key to unlock it and let it open. And then we can fill that with the investments and the, the, the day-to-day knowledge that we have to have. See, those are some nice sound bites, Pandora's box. I could visualize that, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing I would love people listening to your show to know is that they don't have to fill up their whole book with their expertise on uh, probate, for example. 
So a book such as the one that you're imagining for yourself, Brett, is perfect. So most of the book, like 95% of the book would be of value for anyone. But then 5% of the stories and examples that you provide are from your clients or from your own life. And so people reading the book, oh, well, oh, I see Brett. He's got this visionary wealth advisors. Oh, well, I need some help with my portfolio, right? <laughs> so it's not like buy, buy, buy. That would make a crappy book. Yeah, that's true. So the, the book could be about um, business philosophy or it could be somewhat about your area of expertise, but your podcast is a perfect example. It could be this uh, circle of success and then just 5% of stories that illustrate the transformation that you and your team provide. And there you go. You have a book that is both a great legacy, a great gift, something you're super proud of, but also can bring you clients. I like it. So what hacks do you have uh, to help us communicate more effectively, yeah, especially in today's world? How, how do we do that? Hmm. Well, I might not be the best example of this because I get all <laughs> excited and I go on and on and on. But I think the uh, what I'd love people to know is just to understand the neuroscience of communication. And just really briefly, I'll, I'll give you a tip on that. Oh, first, I'll give you a tip or I'll point out a tip that I already gave you, which is when you're focused on what does the other person need and what problems can you solve for them, already your communication will be so much better. So that's easy to do. Well, easy to remember, maybe not always easy to do, but that's a, a key. So the second thing is spend a little time understanding the neuroscience of communication and how it actually works so that you can use it to your advantage instead of having it blow up in your face. <laughs> so yeah. I, and explain the neuroscience of communication in, in my new book, um, Turn Words Into Wealth. But just in brief, what you want to do is understand that our brains evolved over millennia. So the croc brain or the ancient rept reptilian brain is one part that you need to communicate to. Then there's the midbrain, which is more about social. And then there's the cerebral cortex, which is the highest functioning brain and, and processes information. And uh, most, a lot of my clients before they come to me, you know, they're really smart. They're scientists, they're engineers, they're, you know, successful business people. And many of them have the idea, well, I'm smart. The person I'm talking to is smart. So I'll just do the verbal equivalent of sending them an Excel spreadsheet to open, but that's not how communication works. So you first need to get past the crock brain and then the midbrain, and then maybe, maybe they'll open that Excel spreadsheet. So what does that mean? The croc brain or ancient reptilian brain is looking for something quick and why should I listen? And basically, if you were to imagine like a castle with a moat and crocodiles, you have to get past the crocodiles and the crocodiles right. are thinking, is this, is this sexy? Is this something I can eat? Is this a shiny bobble? Like it's got to attract interest. So that's that little five seconds of, you know, why should you listen? What's in it? What's in it for you? So, and if you don't have anything, then they're not even going to be listening. They might be glazed over looking at you, but they're not really listening. So start right. off with something, you know, short and snappy that gets to the point exactly like you did to have a, a vision greater than their past. Yes. That's, that's it. That's and then the social midbrain is like, okay, the drawbridge comes down, you trot in there on your horse. You're still not talking to the king and queen. The, the um, nobles inside are checking you out. They're like, well, what's the status of this? What's the relationship of this? Like who else has been on Brett's podcast? Who else um, are his clients? Is he is passing the social, the social 
sniff test, which obviously you do, uh, but somebody who has a book comes across higher status, for example. So this is the part where you need to pass the status mm. test. So like, um, I hope this is not politically incorrect, I don't think so, but um, a homeless person might catch your attention, right? But the and so you're like paying attention, but the, you're not going to open your, your door if you don't feel uh, at ease. Yeah. So you pass that social test. So that would be where you just drop in a couple of you know, your, your clients or, or you show them your book. So you pass the authority test and then you get led to the inner chamber with the king and queen. But the king and queen, I use them like it's like the Game of Thrones. You still have to communicate both to the uh, right and left hemispheres. So sometimes it will be storytelling. And sometimes it can be uh, statistics, but you don't want to be all data and you don't want to be all stories. You got to try to yeah. uh, mix it up. Yeah, there's a happy blend in there. Yeah, a happy blend in there. So just understanding that instead of trying harder to communicate your Excel spreadsheet, just know that you need to do two steps first. You need to catch their attention and you need to communicate about the social status connected world. And then maybe they'll open your... That Pandora's box will then be opened. Okay. Yeah, I think you got to hit the emotional side too, right? Find out really what's important to them because our clients, they come to us, they know we know about the wealth management, they wouldn't be here, but it's really tapping into finding out what's important to them. That's the most important thing. And whether that's wealth management or any industry, you got that person you're setting eyeball to eyeball with, that's who you got to connect with. And that's where you got to have the messaging. Exactly right. Yeah. So uh, you talked about 4%, what the top 4% do differently to communicate powerfully. Uh, mm. I'm always curious. People want to be in that top 4%, 2%, 1%, 0.1%. How do they yeah. speak or communicate differently? I think what the top 4% do is they actually dedicate time to mastering communication. So it's like the 80-20 rule. Most people know about the 80-20 rule that 20% of your activities bring you 80% of your clients or 80% of your revenue. But if you just do that again and you do 20% of that top 20%, you get 4%. I know my MBA is showing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in that 4% are communication things. So that Steve Jobs practicing to pitch the latest Apple product back in the day when he did that. So the first time that I was really aware of this was after my husband died, I was like, okay, I'm a single mother all of a sudden. And my, my husband and business partner is no longer on the planet. That's a problem. And then uh, uh, through circumstances, I got invited to pitch the movie that I was writing at the BAMP film and television festival. So wow. I practiced exhaustively. But in and in that 20 minutes that I pitched on, on, on television, but to a live audience of about 600 people, it changed my life. So that one 20 minutes changed the trajectory. I, I landed me six figures. My agent fielded offers on my behalf from Hollywood and from Canadian producers. I landed a job, um, that job for the largest film and television production company in Canada. Mm -hmm. And, you know, went to the Cannes Television Festival and Natpee, et cetera. So what does that show us all? It's not about me. It's about what is that an example of? It's an example of if you have the right message, and you have the right opportunity to present your message to the right audience, it can dramatically shift your business, your career, your opportunities. So many of us spend so much time trying to get the opportunity, but we would be well served to spend time also practicing because good luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. 
Yeah. Right. And I think it's important is the working on your business versus in your business. And people have heard that saying, but I've, I've taken that to heart for 15 to 20 years. I mean, multiple times away by myself. And, and I used to, and, and I had my two kids at the time and, and I would go to literally West Palm beach by myself uh, for one night and a mm-hmm. notebook and go on this one person retreat to think and strategize and journal and, and, and thank God I have an understanding and supportive wife that understands that, you know, to, to leave her at home with two kids to do that. And it was, it was so important for long-term success for me. And it's just continued now more locally uh, where we go off site, you know, once, twice, three times a quarter and just think, and strategize and think and strategize and rip that paper up and think and strategize. And I keep saying that because it's so important to spend time on it. You can't just show up to a meeting and expect the best results without preparation. Exactly right. And the fact that you're writing it down, it refines your thinking. It goes in my mind. It goes in your mind and then you reread it and you refine it and it becomes this iterative process So the top 4% do that. So you're definitely in the top 4% with that habit. And that's a great one that other people can emulate, you know, to take time if you can each day to write something. But I love the idea of going away for a a day and just having a one person retreat. And I think it's important to not beat yourself up over that because it's easy to say, oh my gosh, I need to be making that call or I need to be seeing that client or I need to be doing that thing. And what I have found is the more I remove myself from those busy day-to-day tasks, I'm better and stronger when I come back to them to be more impactful when I do it. Absolutely. So that is a great habit that others could be emulating right now, right? Yeah. And what you just said needs yellow highlighting. Like it is important to um, value that. Otherwise you do go, Oh shit, I should be calling that person back. I should be doing this. I should be getting on my email. But in fact, you know, I really love the book deep work by Cal Newport. If you are always in response mode, your work is going to be shallow. And if you want to be in the elite of the top 4%, then you need to devote time to deep work. So, you know, I block off the first 90 minutes every morning is Hmm. time for writing, for thinking. I'm not checking my email. I'm not answering my phone, you know, and some people can grumble about that. But the result is exactly what you have been pointing out. You think more deeply when you give yourself blocks of time and when you and you value it by how you block off your calendar or block off that that day. And it's funny. I laughed when you said that 90 minutes, because I've been saying this for years to people. And uh, I talk about in the show a lot is I call it focus 90 and we can always be busy. I'm using air quotes. If you're listening is Mr. Or Mrs. Busy. And I don't have 90 minutes in the morning. You don't understand, Brad. I got to do this or I got that email or I get, no, no, no. I I always say you don't understand because if I can win that first 90 minutes of my day, I will win the rest of the day. Absolutely. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have an emergency phone call to somebody that you have to make that morning. I'm not saying that, but by and large, if I commit five days a week, Monday through Friday to my first 90 minutes being my focused 90 minutes on the three or four or five things I have to do to win, you will win way more often than you lose. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Well, exactly right. And it, it ties back to your point in, in your circle of success about vision. Yeah. 
Like when, when people have a, a vision for their future that's bigger than their past, it, it will involve some goals that require them to be bigger than their past self, right? So whether it's running a marathon or writing a book or starting a business or getting married and having a baby or whatever their particular mm-hmm. goals may be, you know, they'll need time to train for that marathon or they'll need to devote time to, you know, writing in their journal about things that they might write in, the, in their book. Or perhaps, I don't know, they, they're having children, so they want to devote uh, time to being a great parent and not always being reactive, but what exactly, you know, what is my vision of that? Yep. So, you know, what have you found has been the biggest takeaway from that time that you have spent from now and again, taking a one day retreat yourself to think and write and. Um, what have I found to be the most helpful from that one day? Uh, I, I think clarity, and, and I've said this from books I've read, is clarity precedes mastery. I mean, I think the, the clearer I can be on where I want our clients to be, where our, our firm to be, our community to be, my family to be, the clearer I am on that, the better likelihood, the better odds I have of making it happen. And so it's yeah. going down and finding out, okay, what is the 10-year goal? What's the vision, the long-term vision? And I know that very clearly on what that is. And I've got 15 reasons why, not just one reason, not two reasons, but 15 reasons. Because when one and number two get really hard, well, I've got three through 15 that's going to get me through that tough day because I want that thing to happen. And then I back it down into a five-year, a one-year, and then a 90-day goal on the ultimate deal of getting me to that 10-year-plus dream that we have. And that clarity is where it becomes so powerful is on days that quite frankly suck. And we all have them, right? You have the bad phone call. You have the client you thought would become a client that didn't. Bad things happen. It's just, it's going to happen the rest of our lives. And I had to embrace that and, and be okay with that, except in in trying to not, and try to be okay with not every day is just going to be perfect. It took a lot of maturing for me. And so I'm long winded here, but I think that's, that's where I was. That's what I've gotten from is the clarity to know why and to battle through to get the things that I want to get. So you model what you teach to your clients beautifully. So what a great example. Cause yeah, we do all hit those sticky points. I'm studying stoicism now. I like Ryan holidays book. Oh yeah. Is the way. And so that's how I've reframed it. Every time something comes up as like a problem or an obstacle, I'm like, okay, so how is this the way? (laughs) Yeah. We don't know why. You don't know why, but I have, I have found in my 20 years of doing this, the, the toughest times professionally have been the best times when I look back on them 12 to 24 months. I mean, they suck Mm. in the moment, Mm. but when I look back on them, it was the best learning, uh, the best clarity, the the more time that it challenged me to dig deeper. And what am I, what am I going to do to get through that? Um, I think back to 2003 uh, was my worst year ever in the business but I look back now, 18 years later, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. It was a wake-up call to say, hey, dude, work is what matters. Your success doesn't matter. It's your work that matters. It's your relationship. It's your showing up every day and getting the job done. Talent only can go so far, but talent mixed with hard work, yeah. watch out. That's, that's a dangerous combination. I love that attitude. It, it took me a while to uh, to discover the the silver lining in the cloud of my husband dying, for example. But, 
you know, through that experience, I became a different person and I really like who I am. Yeah. And so, you know, that adversity had me on my knees praying many times and, and that experience taught me so very much and deepened my well of empathy and compassion for others. Whereas if you never have anything major happen in your life, that's a setback, you can so easily um, not have a lot of compassion for others who might be dealing with the challenge. That's right. So what have you found? How did you get through that though? Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, so, I mean, that that's a big deal, right? A bad business dealing doesn't compare anywhere close to losing your husband. So, so, I can say I look back at my 2003 years as young guy and didn't work real hard and just thought it would be easy and it wasn't. Yeah. And I got through that. But but that's, again, it's different than losing a spouse with a child or, or children. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you ever know the answer, though? Like, I mean, Well, uh, let's see what's the shortest and most helpful answer to that question. Firstly, to what you said about comparing it to business loss, every time I have a setback in business, I, I joke, but it's true. Like, well, nobody died. Right. Nobody absolutely. died. Like, keep it in perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, th- I think the shortest answer, and then I could give a longer answer if, if you would like, is uh, the Stoics teach memento mori, which is to remember death. And the mm-hmm. gift of death, the gift of remembering death, is that we then lean forward into this precious gift of life. I mean, you can get so busy responding to your emails and phone calls and all the things you have to do that you forget. You're not promised tomorrow. This might be your last day on the planet. And my husband's death taught me that. And I don't always remember that, but I I do my best to be a person who is fully alive and is grateful for each breath, each moment, each person I'm speaking with. And therefore... I hope you're noticing even in this podcast, I'm attempting to contribute to you and to your listeners so that if I die tomorrow, you'll be, well, at least she did a good podcast on her (laughs) penultimate day. She went out strong. Yeah. You know, there is a value in remembering death and paradoxically, it can make you more alive and more grateful. And, um, and the the second thing I learned can I interrupt real quick? Sorry. And, and I want to talk to the same thing. Would you say that that gift, is that a gift? I mean, I mean, cause you want to have an answer for it. Like why, why me? Why my husband? Why, you know, that's not fair. That's not this. That's not that. But is that the gift is to say, okay, I can either get in a hole and, and, you know, have a, the next 80 years of my life suck because of that death, or I can take it as a gift and learn from it. Is that a fair way to say that or not? Sort of. Although I would say I learned it's important to ask good questions. Mm, So why me is not a good question. Why did it happen to me? Bad question. How can I make the best of this? Good question. What can I learn from this? Good question. How can I contribute to others? Good question. How can I take care of my son? Good question. Why did this happen? Why me? Why does God hate me? Bad questions. So, um, and this is important for everything. The quality of our questions determines the quality of our, of our lives. So it's a bit more nuanced. Like people say, well, everything happens for a reason. And I don't like that either. I like to say everything happens, find a reason. Mm. And so it, it puts it actively back on you. Like, I don't think God's up there going, oh, Aurora needed this lesson. (laughs) 
but it happened. So make what you can out of it and see how you can become a better person. I think I'm a much more compassionate, deeper, more interesting person. Before he died, I was more like your typical driven over over ambitious A-type personality. And and now it's more nuanced. So how do you enjoy the moment? Are you good at that? Do you enjoy the journey, enjoy the moment? I I think I'm fairly good at that. Uh, Still, I'm a work in progress, recovering perfectionist, as you know, Mm -hmm. my book is coming out shortly and I'm still like, okay, let's read it one more time and check (laughs) to see what could still be improved. The only way really for me to stop working on a book is start working on another one. So that's what I advise all my clients. Yeah. The way to wrap that project up is to start Start another one that, that, that really matters. Um, For example, during the pandemic, I um, typically host a couple of events per year. I had the last event, February 2020, in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which is a beautiful UNESCO uh, heritage site. And then the pandemic. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm canceling the rest of my events for the year. Um, But then I pivoted. I'm like, okay, well, what do I really love? What I love working with clients one on one. I love working with people who want to, you know, make their book as deep and as meaningful as possible. So I thought, well, I'll just double up on that and cancel all the events, and I'm happier than ever That's because great. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, these are these are questions I think that are worthwhile asking. You know, like, what am I really good at? So anybody can ask themselves. You know, what have you spent ten thousand hours or more doing, writing, communicating, and coaching people? Um, and who is that worth the most to? It's a second good question. So how, how can you provide the most value? Who's the mo- most worth the most to? And then what provides you joy? Because sometimes there are things, problems that we could solve that don't provide us joy anymore. Obviously, you're still in a joyful place, but sometimes people need to pivot. But when I review those questions, I'm like, okay, I can take the pandemic and I'll just pivot out of the event business and help people more one-on-one and that's very meaningful to me and to them yeah and that pivot's so critically important i've i've only done financial planning it's all i know it's all i've ever done but it is you know we pivoted seven years ago and started visionary from scratch for what we wanted to provide for clients and and i do so i think it doesn't necessarily mean a career change Mm -hmm. as much as it may mean um for even even if it's at the spot you're at adapting to what you are passionate about. And I have found that when I'm able to talk about my passions every day with clients, it's a heck of a lot more fun. And we attract the same amount, the kind of people. And they want to talk about their goals and dreams and mindset and all the things. And it's amazing how much fun we have. Yeah. So what, what prompted you to make that pivot seven years ago? And what was the hardest part of, of leaning into that pivot? And what was the most fun about it? Yeah, the hardest part was walking away from a, a good paying career that, you know, I always said as my income was going like this, going up, my satisfaction was going down. Mm. And I'm like, okay, at that time, I think I was 36-ish when I was starting to look around and think like, okay, what's my life? I don't want to be doing all of this financially and be miserable. And it wasn't miserable from family life, anything like that. It was just more of, I wanted more. I wanted to be able to do more. And I mean, thoughts and visions and dreams of something like this. And I couldn't do that in that world. And it's like, I knew the sandbox was, you know, this big as a piece of paper. (laughs) 
but I wanted the sandbox to be as big as a football field or as big as a city. And, and, and so as you start thinking that again, it wasn't a career move. It was a pivot into more. And what was the scary part? Well, my wife was eight months pregnant with our fourth child and we had just built a home that we lived in and, and now you're going to walk away. Is this the right time, Brett? No, it's not. It's a terrible time. It's actually an awful time, but there really is never a right time. And so I think you got to make calculated risks, but at the end of the day, you got to take the risk and you got to bet on yourself. Well, I would offer, there's never a convenient time, but it's always the fair. right time. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> convenience was not a convenience with an eight month. Not convenient. Yeah. Well, good for you. You know, it's crazy. I was just talking to my business partner, Tim, about this the other day. I said the week before it happened, uh, my father-in-law has a stroke uh, loses his eyesight in his right eye. We thought he was going to pass away. He, he miraculously was okay. Still lost his right eyesight, which is terrible. Then we launched Visionary Wealth Advisors on a Monday. On Friday, my dad has a heart attack. He literally codes on the table. They got to zap him alive. I thought I was going to die. I'm hearing code red or blue, whatever it was on the deal. And this is all in like literally a seven-day period. And then knowing that my next child is coming you know, at this point now, three weeks or three and a half weeks later, I'm like, you know, to your point earlier, it's like everything happens now. Find a reason. I'm going to say that now 9 million times. I love that. And, and it was how much can they give you? Conzo Martin, a head basketball coach, University of Missouri said to me one time, he said, God gives his toughest challenge challenges to his toughest warriors. Mm. And I had to look at that, like that being a warrior, is how much can I handle? I, God's given me this. He knows I can handle it. And, mm -hmm. and it's how you handle it. So that mm -hmm. was crazy. And it's expanded your capacity ever since. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because I think we're like balloons until you, you know, blow into it. You think it's only this big, but then, yeah. you know, the balloon and the capacity. Yeah. It's bigger. Yeah. So you're, yep. you're, now you're, you're right. like, well, <laughs> that's not like that week. So it's, it's easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, this is great. So your book turned words into wealth. Um, you're doing something I think is really unique in the month of May. Talk to us about that. Oh yeah. So this is so fun. So one of my, my big passions is self publishing is it. Um, so as, uh, I have a publishing company, same page publishing. And so I'm able to do some things that big publishers don't bother doing or are not able to do. So every weekend in the month of May, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my book, my new book, turn words into wealth. Is going to be absolutely free. So go to uh, Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books and uh, you can grab a copy. I'm doing that because I really want to get the message out. I want to encourage everybody. You know, you do have stories. You do have a book inside you. And even if you don't want to write a whole book, communicating more effectively is a way to turn your words into wealth, whether it's getting a, a promotion, getting a new client, raising capital. Many of my clients have raised millions of dollars. Uh, you know, for their startups with venture capital. So turning your words into wealth is a skill everybody needs. So the book's going to be free during the month of May, every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then during the weekday, it's going to be on sale. So you'll have uh, no excuses for not turning your words into Price wealth. will not be the barrier for getting this book. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I love it. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I think, you know, learning how to build your business, build your brand to your point earlier of, of walking in the room without saying a word and you're already an authority figure. It is a big deal. And, and for me, I know being doing this podcast for four plus years now, 
it's those, those are the folks that you want people that have written books. We all have a story to share and I'm telling this to our audience. I got to tell it to myself too, but believe in that story, believe in yourself and let's go out, let's write that book and let's get that message out and make a big impact. So Aurora, it's been awesome having you. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and where can our listeners find more of you? Oh, thanks, Brett. It's been such a joy connecting with you. You're, you're awesome. People can find out more about me on my personal website, which is my name, aurorawinter.com, A-U-R-O-R-A-W-I-N-T-E-R.com. Or if they'd like some three free gifts, they can go to thoughtleaderlaunch.com. That's thought with a T-H, a little hard to say loud, thoughtleaderlaunch.com. <laughs> and they can get some gifts. Or if they want to say hello, LinkedIn is the best place. Perfect. We will put all that in the show notes and uh, send people your way. And hey, look, if you want to write a book, Aurora and I are going to be talking after this. If you want to write a book or you just want to learn more about how to get your message out, you know, reach out to Aurora, uh, reach out to me, to me. I can connect you and happy to help any way we can. So we are very thankful for those of you that listen every single week. Again, as I started, we, we want to give you the best tips and tools for your wealth management needs, just your journey in life to help you uh, achieve a future greater than your past. We're very thankful that you turn in every single week. We know there's a lot of places you can go with your time and your talents, and we're, we're very thankful that you come here. So uh, until next week, uh, it's been great seeing you. I'm Brett Gilliland, host of The Circuit of Success. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 